Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm talking to Mora Gafili, founder of Kilted, a diversity and inclusion company that helps startups and SMEs promote better diversity and inclusion policies and increase business performance as a result. I'm sure that we all acknowledge both the need and benefits of a more diverse and inclusive workforce. However, many don't really know how to go about it and implement in a truly effective way. Kilted uses organisational psychology and data analytics to enable inclusiveness and I was fascinated to find out how they go about doing this. Amongst other things, Morag and I discussed the effects the great resignation has had on driving diversity and inclusion, the vulnerability of stepping out of your familiar profession into entrepreneurism, and the significant influence Gen Z has had on igniting real and sustained change. It is a really interesting and revealing discussion. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the podcast. Gonna really keen to learn a bit about you and your background and and all of the things that you get up to. But the main focus of this conversation is gonna be about diversity and inclusion and your business kilted. So tell our listeners to set a bit of the scene, a little bit about Kilted and what inspired you to set it up. Sure. So Kilted is a strategic advisory firm that uses organizational psychology and data analytics to help businesses take the fear out of building inclusive workplaces. Um, The name of the business comes from the phrase off kilter because I feel like many businesses are off kilter in their approach to D&I often focusing on the external marketing piece um, and not giving enough time and attention to the internal culture. So really it was just to create uh, a platform to have the kind of uncomfortable conversations required for, for real rather than performative change. Yeah, which is really interesting, isn't it? And do you really think that is an issue within, I suppose, the UK generally, but the, you know, you Kilted specialises in that SME market yeah. where there's a lot done to around DNI to win tenders to be seen to be doing the right thing rather than actually implementing the right policies? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think if we look at, you know, the last kind of 18 months to two years and the great resignation, I mean, a core part of the decision making for many employees is culture Mm. um, and wanting to find a better culture and a better fit for themselves. And so ultimately, if you have people kind of voting with their feet and, and, and moving to somewhere else where they perceive mm. the culture to be better, I think it's, it is a sign that there is something to be, to be said about 
the ability for everyone who works within your organization to feel like they belong and that organization works for them. Yeah, no, definitely. So do you work with other sort of culture consultants to do the full culture piece and you, you focus on the DNI or do you bring the DNI into that whole culture discussion? How do you work? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the way that I focus with my clients is mainly on the inclusion piece. I think ultimately, mm. if you want to build a culture that works, you have to think about how everybody associates and identifies with that culture. Mm. Where needed, Kilted has a directory of different advisors that I can pull in for different projects. So okay. I'm really keen to tell clients on the outset, I'm not an expert in everything. I don't profess to be an expert in everything. But the key function of Kilted's business is strategy. So we help people get that first strategy on, on, onto paper. Because I find with a lot of SMEs, um, you know, they do what they do very well and they run their businesses very well, but they have a bit of a blind spot when it comes to D&I and they have a bit of a discomfort about putting a plan together. And so really the, the role of Kilted and myself is to help them with that initial plan. It may be that in doing so, we identify that they need help in other areas of culture or business and we have people that we can point them to. But 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 I I don't I don't profess to do the entire piece <laughs> the whole package as <laughs> yeah. it were. And do you think there is a because most DNI is very much talked about within the big with big corporates public sector charitable sector clearly. Um, do you and most things cascade down into that kind of owner managed SME kind of market. Are you now seeing an increased desire by SMEs to really engage? in DNI discussions? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, I took the decision to focus primarily, almost exclusively on SMEs because we have this kind of strange phenomenon where you have the, the 1%, the big businesses who only make up 1% of the business population mm -hmm. dictating the business policies and practices of the 99%. And the reality of the situation is for most small businesses in the UK, they don't have the budget or the scope or the scale to put in place the same things that the big businesses do. And so I think there's been a lot of um, failed initiatives, not because people didn't have the best intentions, but they're looking to the wrong places. And so I think yeah. people are starting to realize that it isn't a one size fits all approach and that the SME market does require its own methodologies around improving DNI. I mean, yeah. you know, some clients will go in and say, oh, well, I, you know, I want to try and hire 10 women in the next x months and you go well hang on a second your entire workforce is 15 people you know you've got to you've got to you've got to <laughs> yeah. just take a step back and look at the realities for your for your business and so i think a lot of smes are starting to realize you know this is important it matters if you want to continue yeah. to be a, a player in the market and retain your market share attract good talent it's yeah. something that you can't ignore and so i think it, it it's been put in the kind of do later pile and mm. i think it's it's now being transferred into that actually we have to do now so that's what i think is driving a lot of the conversations around uh dni for smes so you really think the sme market and smes starting to engage properly in those conversations as you said earlier is about you know they've been we've had the great resignation there is a lack of talent out there you think it's now come to the point where it's being commercially driven yeah i think i think a lot of companies realize that you know even in my own experience you know when you interview people one of the first questions they ask you is what's the culture like yeah 
You know, it, it, I, I read somewhere in a recent study that it costs the average business about £30,000 when someone leaves, when you factor in recruitment costs, training costs, and the skills gap that you have until that new person is up to speed. And so we are living in a time of um, financial crisis, you know, following the pandemic. And so those type of numbers hit smaller businesses more so than the bigger businesses. And so if you have an issue which is related to your culture, if you're not tapping into innovation because you don't have diversity in your workforce, you know, yeah. it's it's a financial problem as well as a, as, a, as a moral and cultural one, and I think I think those are starting to come together as one issue rather yeah. than being separate strands. And if they do, that's great because that drives change, doesn't it? Yeah, that agreed, agreed. Drives right. I think I think I think we shouldn't be afraid of acknowledging that diversity and inclusion is good for business. The, the, the studies okay. show that. I mean, there could also be a moral imperative, but it's also okay if there's a commercial imperative too. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, at times, sometimes it is the commercial desire and outcome and reasons that drive necessarily and required change, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we've got to, you know, you've got to put everything in context. We're talking about businesses yeah. here. You know, yeah. it's, you know, the, the, the drivers from a personal point of view might be very different from a commercial point of view. But I think, you know, businesses are there to succeed and be profitable and grow and and if this is a factor that can help them do that and people acknowledge that and invest in it properly then that is a good thing so i'm just intrigued to what really inspired you to set it up because you're very successful in your own right um you know one personal awards you know within your personal services kind of career which you're still participating in and undertaking so what really inspired you to start Kilted alongside that very successful professional services career? It's a very good question. Um, I've been involved in diversity and inclusion initiatives for, for, for many, many years. And so I've been engaged in kind of several different iterations of Kilted over the years, yeah. just not formally through my own business. Um, so the pandemic, if I'm being honest, I think was a real time of reflection for all of us Mm. and it gave me the kind of time and space to kind of take a step back and think about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to move this forward and I I felt the best way to honour my passion and commitment to diversity and inclusion was to basically go public. I think yeah. I think there's some there's sometimes a vulnerability around starting a business and saying out loud to people this is something I'm doing. I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of start in the shadows and, and are afraid to kind of tell people. Yeah. And so there was a there was a real desire to just kind of be honest and be bold and say this is what I'm doing and I want to help people and if people want my services here they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's um it's 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 been you know the response has been great. Um, I have to say, you know, my employer has also been great in allowing me to pursue this alongside my Absolutely. legal career, yeah, um, which is which, forward thinking, isn't it? Yeah, which is quite rare. I know a lot of people still, ha- you know, part of the reason some people are so quiet about it is they don't have the support of their employer. Yeah. So I'm very grateful um, to that extent that, that, that they that they get it and they support it and they applaud it. So I'm very lucky. But it was really just a timing thing of, you know, if not now, when? Yeah. And as you say, you know, that entrepreneurial mind, sometimes we've got a desire to do things, but we don't take that first step, do we? Yeah, exactly. And I think the first step is the hardest, actually. Absolutely. Just kind of putting yourself out there. It's, it's a, 
it's a it's a type of vulnerability and exposure that I think you don't mm. really understand until you start that entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Did you think there's from your own personal perspective that you know clearly um, when people you know look at you on LinkedIn they'll see Morag that those personal awards and that achievement that you've had in a successful career. Do you think it was it a bigger step therefore to then be more vulnerable and step out and do kilted because you you'd be you had all of that success and then to go to go and do something and risk something that then says well this may or may not work yeah i mean i think a lot of i think a lot of people will question kind of but why you know you're yeah. you're doing well in one lane why are you you know yeah, why are you pursuing you? something else but i think you know, we're, we're, people are multifaceted, you know, and I, I think when you work in the professional services sector, you know, I think people tend to define you by your professional title and your career. Mm. And it's, it's, it's important to recognize that we are, you know, I'm more than just a lawyer. I have Absolutely. other interests. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I think, I think it's about b being okay with that. And I think that is yeah. quite a new thing within the professions. I think, you know, yeah. if we just go back five, 10 years ago, you know, people would be aghast that someone would even consider talking about something that wasn't, you know, law or their primary yeah. profession um, or having other interests that they pursue. So for me, yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky that I've had a really touch wood this, <laughs> thus far, a successful <laughs> legal career. Um, but I like challenge and this is something that's always been important to me. And so yeah. this, starting my own business was the ultimate challenge and so I, I'm glad that I took that risk. Do you think it's made you, I, I asked this from a personal perspective because obviously you know, come from a professional services background and have started a number of ventures um, so I know what my answer to this is but do you think it's made you a sharper professional starting your own business? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think uh, a lot of lawyers myself included they think they're commercial yeah but maybe we're not as commercial as we, we we really are i mean i think you know we're involved in transactions but often we're not there when when the deal gets made you know yeah and i think there's a lot of different factors that go into making a successful business over and above the kind of the contracts and the agreements that that that, that codify them and so it has really made me look at everything differently from just kind of yeah. you know how we engage with clients or you know what we're spending on you know pat pads of paper and pens and just really thinking about <laughs> you know the kind of the, the the wider picture of what goes into why we charge what we charge what goes into how we network and we raise our profile and engage with clients yeah. um i think that the skills that i've learned in law um have really helped me with kilted mm -hmm. but i think equally the skills that i've learned with kilted have made me a better lawyer in, in terms of understanding the business of law, which I think yeah. we don't really, you know, I think as you kind of climb through your career, you don't really get exposure to the business of law until you're senior enough to see it. And so actually yeah. to be able to understand those things at a slightly earlier stage, because I run my own business yeah. has, been, has been really enlightening actually. Absolutely, completely agree. I think the other ventures I did alongside being a professional just gave me that empathy because I absolutely started to understand that sometimes you're making a decision to turn left or right and you think, well, the client's definitely going to go and turn right at this this juncture and they turn left and you're like, 
Right, and as soon as you start running your own business or doing other things, you start to have that empathy and understanding of why decisions sometimes get made. Yeah, yeah um, agreed. So, but this conversation was supposed to be about DNI, wasn't it? <laughs> so let's get back to DNI. <laughs> An interesting tangent, I hope, for our listeners. So, how much progress do you think the UK in particular has made over the last decade with regards to DNI, and what more needs to be done to accelerate it, Morag? I think there has been quite a lot of progress in the last 10 years, mainly because we're talking about it more, and that in and of yeah. itself is progress. Um, I think where we are now is we need, we need more action, um, and people need to kind of listen more. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it's one thing if people are talking, but, but, but we, need to, we need to really listen to what people are saying. Um, so it's not, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think there is progress, but I think a lot of people are, are kind of slightly disappointed by the pace of that progress. Mm. Um, and I guess just to kind of accelerate progress, I think really what we're talking about, which is why it's so hard, is a mindset shift. Mm. You know, it's, it's very hard. Change is hard. You know, humans yeah. don't like change. We yeah. enjoy the status quo. We're comfortable in our comfort zones. And so what we're really talking about here is a real mindset set shift in terms of how we structure our businesses and how we treat our people. And some people will take a little bit more persuading than others to get that over the line. And that is a difficult process. And I, I don't think something that happens overnight. And in all of your experiences, do you think some industries are better at DNI than others? Um, I don't think it's necessarily industry focused, but I do think those organizations that pride themselves on on innovation mm, seem okay. to be ahead of the curve yeah. because you know the research tells us that you know the more diversity you have in your organization the more people feel like they can be they belong and contribute the bigger the innovation the bigger the returns on that and so i think if you are in an industry which prides itself on that innovation i think they've realized now actually if we want to be pitching you know a broader range of ideas we need more people to feel like they can contribute to that yeah. certain industries where they feel like we've been doing it fine for the last 100 million years we don't need It'll to change always be the same yeah then of course they don't see the the value in it from a commercial point of view which goes back to what you were saying you know is it is it bad that it's a commercial driver i don't think it's necessarily bad it just is what it is but you will have certain organizations who who neither see the commercial benefits or the cultural or moral benefits. And so from that point of view, it's gonna be very hard to try and move them forward. And I suppose, th does that come with generational change as well? You know, would you agree that perhaps, you know, the current generation, those coming into the workplace now, are just more aware of the importance of inclusiveness and therefore best equipped to move things forward? Yeah, I mean, Gen Z are the most diverse generation in history. Mm. So it stands to reason that these matters mean something to them more so than they yeah. have done previously. Um, we're also in a slightly odd phase in history where we've got so many generations in the workplace at one time. Mm, and yeah. so you have a kind of, we're, we're, we're watching the changing of the guard, which is yes. a really interesting thing to actually observe and participate in. Um, and I think what makes Gen Z so interesting is just they're fearless. You know, yeah. I, they 
are prepared to take action to affect change in ways yeah. that potentially previous organizations wouldn't. Um, you know, I know many of my counterparts, you know, you would apply for a job and you would hear that place has a really bad reputation. And we'd say, you'd say, well, you know, but it's good on your CV. Stick it out yeah. for a little while. Yeah. Just do it. We know they're terrible. They're not going to change, but just do it. And in fact, we yeah. may have gotten that same advice from our parents. You know, yeah. it was a case of just, you know, suck it up, move on. Gen Z won't even touch an organization if they're not um, no. um, diverse enough or inclusive enough. Um, they won't. Uh, engage with organizations that don't share the same values as them and so all of a sudden something that was just seen as well just accept it and move on is yeah. now a, a non-negotiable and so which I think is, yeah which is great because suck it up isn't kind of the right approach to anything is it yeah um, and it's interesting because we're terrified of Gen Z but I think you know they are the future we've got a lot to learn yeah, from them and so I think absolutely. if businesses want to stay relevant and have that longevity they need to really think about how they engage that new you know their future workers yeah definitely and i suppose with gen z that does lead on must lead on to a discussion around social media really yeah. doesn't it and what do you think both the positive and negative effect of social media is having on driving inclusion and diversity yeah i mean i i'm a i'm what they call a geriatric millennial so i'm <laughs> i'm uh my i'm trying to age you with that <laughs> <laughs> Which I shouldn't do. <laughs> so I remember life pre and post kind of the boom of, of all these um, various different platforms. So I, yeah. I you know, I, I, I'm a complete Luddite. I fully accept that. But I think the, the benefit of social media is it just brings attention to issues like at a pace we've never seen before. And I, and I think a, a perfect example of that was, you know, the... Um, the horrific murder of George Floyd, you know, when, during the lockdown. I mean, that type of story or video or imagery would have not have gotten the attention that it, it mm -hmm. rightly deserved if it wasn't for the power of social media and the power Absolutely. of Gen Z and their social activism. So there is positive in it because, you know, the, the, the impact of that was the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and a real conversation, although some might say not far enough, um, but a real conversation about um, how we how we treat black people um, yeah. and policing and police brutality. So it, it did it did start a conversation. It, potentially the conversation died a bit earlier than some people would have mm -hmm. liked, but it definitely started a conversation. I think the negative of social media in a kind of diversity and inclusion context is kind of it's this kind of passive activism that some people talk about, which is often referred to okay. as slacktivism. Okay. Um, I, which is I haven't heard that term <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of people refer to it as kind of lazy activism. Oh yeah, I like to post. Yeah, okay, I did okay. this, but am I really engaging? I'm doing my bit because I like to post. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, it, it's kind of it's 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 about the psychology of you know what's the good deed I'm doing? Is the good deed liking a post and sharing a post, or is it actually taking those ideals into my personal life? And, and, and living by them or trying to evoke real change. I think the reality is it's very difficult to know from one campaign to a next which one is going to be the one that really takes off. So I think it is a bit unfair sometimes to, to critique that type of action because it does bring awareness. Um, but, you know, for every kind of, if you recall, the kind of the ice bucket challenge, which kind of just went yes. viral and raised a lot of awareness and, and money for a very good cause, um, 
there are other types of campaigns, such as you know the, the Black Square on Instagram that people did after um, George Floyd's murder, which just didn't land. And people were saying, well, actually, yeah. that's lazy. What else are you doing? You know, we don't want to see big brands just putting up black squares. It's not enough. Yeah. So it's a really fine line, and I think in the moment, it, it's getting harder and harder to know which which kind of horse to back when it comes to social media activism. But I guess. I guess as long as you're not performative in your actions, you don't really have anything to fear, you know? No. Um, and so I, I, I recall a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people calling out a lot of brands and saying, you know, well, that's a really lovely marketing campaign, but, you know, release the, release the diversity stats for your board level. You yeah. know, let's, let's talk real here. If you're saying these things matter to you, be transparent about your figures or your policies, yeah. you know? And I think as long as you can put your money where your mouth is. And that's really what Kilted's about, just bringing that balance between the external and the internal message. Then, you know, social media is a very good tool. Yeah, and I think that's what's hit home to me about what what Kilter is and what Kilter does, is like you say, I mean, particularly on social media, those external marketing campaigns, all of the big corporates get behind, don't they? But like you say, it's does, does your internal narrative, does your internal systems, procedures, and the way in which you behave internally in your culture reflect that. Yeah, I mean, pr- really I mean Pride important. Month is a perfect example. So yeah. many people put rainbows up for yeah. Pride Month and um, or, you know, offer discounts or whatever it might be. But, you know, I'd be asking, do you contribute to any LGBTQ plus charities? Do you take those profits and do something good with them? You know, um, you know, what is the experience of, of people from that group within your organization? Um, you know what policies and initiatives you have in place to make people feel included and to and to create and foster that culture of inclusion over and above a rainbow once a year you know it's it's asking those tough questions and saying you know if you can't if you can't back it up you know we 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 are a much more kind of galvanized group of critics because of social media that you need to be prepared that there is the potential for backlash and you know there is the potential that if you don't have enough people um, challenging your views or enough people from diverse backgrounds kind of questioning, well, why, why are you doing this or who is your audience? It, it, it's then when companies, you know, it just falls flat. It's tone deaf. They say something they shouldn't have said. And it's because they didn't have the right people in the room. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And in terms of, you know, a big part of Kilted is installing that culture. So what do you think some of the biggest barriers are to an SME in particular? installing a culture of inclusion and diversity in the workplace? Um, I think for a lot of SMEs, one of the biggest barriers, I think, is is the businesses are, are quite small. And so it's seen as n- not a business priority. And so the focus is on customers, it's on, on, you know, employees, it's kind of this doesn't impact us, we're not big enough for this to have an impact. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really trying to explain, it doesn't matter what size your business is or, or where in the UK you are, I mean, some people think it's, a, it's more of a London issue um, rather than anywhere else. I mean, and I, you know, I grew up in Edinburgh um, and I have clients all over the UK, but, you know, it, it's not about particularly looking at a... A set of characteristics and saying well oh you know we're in this area there aren't that many black people to hire so this isn't an issue for us it's fine we'll mm-hmm. keep going it's more about taking a step back and saying but actually what are the experiences of the people that you have here and do they feel like they belong because inclusion is an everybody issue yeah. um, and so it's about well what is your actual culture and what's your plan for growth in the future 
you know, if you're planning to target new markets and reach new people and you have your voices are all the same, you're missing a trick here. So you've got to be thinking Absolutely. about the culture um, from the outset, regardless of your size or your location. I think the other barrier is fear. I think so many businesses worry about, well, what if I get it wrong? Or what if it doesn't work? Or if I spend this money and I don't see the, you know, the outcomes that I want? Or what if there's backlash? Or one of the bigger fears that comes up quite a lot is what if we alienate our existing customers? Which I find mad. Like, why would it alienate <laughs> your existing customers if internally you were just a little bit nicer to your staff and treated them with respect and they didn't leave and they had a good time there? I, I, I don't see how that would alienate customers. But that comes up a lot. Does um, it? Yeah, which I find quite interesting. Or just, or the other one is just, this is a distraction. It's a distraction okay. from the day job. Yeah. But, but ultimately, I think, you know, fear is an interesting thing because it's kind of, it kind of holds you back in ways that are kind of psychological. Mm. That a lot of the time it's imagined. Yeah. Sometimes it's not as real as you think it is. And even in the face of studies that show time and time again that a lot of those fears are just not, will not come to fruition. I think a lot of businesses kind of really want to hold that front line of this isn't right for us thanks but no okay. thanks and so that's the organizational psychology bit and so i really work with leadership teams okay to get that mind shift um mindset shift from the top okay so if a business owner business leaders listen to this they run an sme what are the first steps that that business can take right now to be more inclusive and diverse I think the most important step is understand where your business is at now. Mm. You know, don't, don't just pick some random ideas off a shelf that you've, you know, you've, you've, you've Googled and you think, oh, that might work. Um, I think a lot of businesses assume that they know what the problems are when actually they don't know what the problems in their business are or yeah. the problems are never as bad as they thought they were. Right. So audit, effectively. So, yeah, that first audit, understand where you are so that you can progress and measure as you go on. Because I think yeah. without it, it's very easy to just give up um, because yeah. you, don't, you don't actually see the progress that's been made because you never really marked that starting point. Yeah, okay. So that's it. Again, it comes back to one of the other conversations we're having earlier on a completely different topic. Take the first step and work out where you are. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, are there any well-known companies that you think are actually, you know, what, either in the UK or globally that you think are a great example of DNI? and um, that's a tough one. I mean, because because we're talking about this kind of what what we see externally and what happens internally, yeah. it's very difficult to know whether what an organisation is saying about its inclusivity is actually the experience of people within it. Of course. Um, so. I think with that disclaimer, which <laughs> <laughs> is quite a big one, but an acceptable one, um, not a standard one. One organisation that I've I've uh, been lucky enough to be supported by in the in the early stages of my business is is Bloomberg. Okay. And I I'm just really impressed at the way that they approach DNI. It's something that they acknowledged that they needed to do better on a few years ago, and then they just okay. they did it. Which is yeah. great. <laughs> they got on and did it. Um, and the, then from speaking to staff there, you know, it, the staff that I spoke to, it, it just seemed like a really positive experience and uh, and the real trust and the commitment that leadership had put into improving diversity and inclusion. Okay. So there was belief. I mean, that's a big organisation and you there was a belief top down, yeah. bottom up that 
leadership was taking it seriously yeah. and doing doing things to implement change. Yeah, I really, I really, I really felt that from the people that I engaged with in that business. And in your own case, in terms of Kilted, is there any case studies that you know maybe you can't name names, but is there any case studies of things that you've seen and, and change that Kilters made happened within organisations that you would be relevant to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I guess the main change which is one of the core aims of Kilted is just to facilitate conversations. I think so many mm. people are afraid to talk about DNI. It's kind of like, you know, we, were, we, we many of us were taught when we were younger, you know, you don't talk about money. You know, it's, it's mm. just, it's just rude to talk about money. And, and that fear around the conversation has prevented a lot of people from, you know, asking for the pay rise that they need or, you yeah. know, understanding their financial security, etc. So I think, there are a number of clients that I have worked with where I'm just absolutely staggered that they've gone from not talking about diversity and inclusion at all to by getting the tools to have those conversations with their staff, really encouraging those type of conversations and mm. learning from them. And so that for me is the biggest change that overnight actually we, we, they're creating forums where people can come up and say things which I think is, is, is quite powerful because they realize actually the, my fear of what this person was going to say mm. is greater than what they actually had to say. Yeah. And so once you kind of crack that nut, you know, because one of the things that Kilter does is I have regular check-ins with the companies okay. that I work with. So we have an early strategy building phase and then I leave you alone. You know, it's your business, it's your strategy, but I'll come back quarterly and hold you accountable We'll get the strategy out and we'll say, well, what's working? What's not working? Do we need to adjust it? And part of that is about getting people comfortable with failure and adjustment. Mm. You know, it, it, we're not going to get it right first time. No. You know, businesses very rarely do. You know, that would be like, you know, in your first year of business, if you don't make the spend that you want, just saying, well, let's just wrap it all up and give up now. No, you have to look no. at the numbers. <laughs> you know, you have to look at the numbers. You've got to tweak, you've got to adjust and then see if it's improved and kind of find the problem, fix the leak and move on. So... It's in those check-ins that I really see the progress because it happens, you know, it happens on an internal level. It doesn't happen with me. And so yeah. it's when I get those feedback points, it's really nice. And, you know, some clients share with me the, the emails that they've gotten from staffs saying, you know, this has been such a marked difference. I'm so proud to work here. You know, I'm really glad that you're investing in it. And those emails are, are really why I do it. It's really quite powerful, the change that people yeah. see when, when leadership engage. Yeah, for you, they yeah, that must be the thing, you know, that that puts a smile on your face. That actually Kilted is impacting. It's making change happen. It's having an effect in in terms of the clients and customers that you work with. Yeah, because I mean, whilst ostensibly the client is is usually the leadership team of the business, you know, the yeah. the impact is felt by the employees. You know, if I yeah. if through one small initiative, you know, you can make somebody's just day to day work experience mm -hmm. a little bit better. I mean, that's 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 yeah. the dream. And the one thing you've said a couple of times and it's really hit home with me is across different subjects and a variety of different things you know within a business you know sustainability might be another kind of one of those topics but with dni there is a real fear about getting it wrong so therefore you don't take the first step you don't do that audit you don't listen you don't you so just huddle back you know businesses just huddle back down and think okay I'll say the right things externally, but not necessarily make change internally. Is there anything that you've seen that you've done that's really 
enabled that senior leadership team to overcome that fear to really take that first step? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is just admitting it. Yeah. So I always do um, an early session with just the leadership team. Okay. And just, you know, I just say, listen, let's just get it all out on the table. You know, it's almost like a therapy session, you know, there's no judgment. Just let's get it all out. Let's talk about, you know, say it as it is. Exactly. And just actually being in a room, I think, where they can just say their fears out loud and have that, you know, have no judgment and have someone sitting there going, that's a completely, you know, justifiable fear. And I understand that. But can I suggest something else, you know? It's that kind of, oh, I said the thing that I've been thinking out loud yeah. and, you know, the sky didn't fall down and I wasn't, you know, yeah. labelled a racist or a sexist or a pig or yeah. whatever it might be. Um, and it's really just saying, you know, your feelings are valid here. I think sometimes we, yeah. we kind of villainise people for having a contrary view. And, you know, I, I think that kind of polarisation is, is making discourse harder. And so yeah. actually I think it's important. It makes me do my job better hearing those yeah. views so that I yeah. can understand what these real, the real issues are for businesses. What the opinions or views, yeah, right or wrong, of people running businesses are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think, you know, just, you, know you, you, you don't have to validate them, but I think you have no. to acknowledge that everybody's opinion is, is valid. And so how mm. do you deal with that? And so that's the first step, really getting to the crux of that fear. And yeah. then that's my job to try and build an approach that that recognizes that so you know so some clients are really really fearful so you know i'm not going to do anything too you know too exciting or dramatic or racy because they're gonna i'm gonna lose them straight away so it's really understanding where they are on that scale and working within that and building incrementally which is great yeah so create this you create the safe space and then work out the size of steps that they can take on that yeah exactly because it's key to me as well i mean i know that it's a serious topic but I try and have as much fun with it as possible. I try and be mm. as positive as possible. I'm not here to kind of shame anyone. Yeah. Um, I, try and, I try and avoid actually using a lot of diversity and inclusion language. Okay. Because again, if it's something you're not comfortable with, teaching someone a language and words that they don't understand to understand yeah. a con- concept that's already a little bit strange to them, it, it creates a further barrier for them to think, well, this isn't for me. So what I try and do is actually keep things in commercial terms because that they understand. So we talk about the impact on the business. We talk about innovation. We talk about profits and productivity. We talk about staff absenteeism. We talk about connecting with clients. Um, You know, we talk about appraisals and feedback systems. We use all the systems and tools that are probably already in the business. And then, you know, shock, horror, surprise, surprise, we're actually talking about D&I and they're comfortable with it. You know, for people who... You know, parental leave is a DNI issue. Yeah. Flexi working is a DNI issue. Absolutely. Gender pay gap is a DNI issue, and they're all things you're comfortable talking about. So let's just open the net a little bit further, you know, and, and really think about how we can make sure those issues which were brought in place to make work a better place for certain people from certain groups, let's just think about that for other groups as well. Brilliant. Fantastic. Morag, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, it's been inspirational to hear your views and what Kilted is doing. If people want to hear more about Kilted, learn more about you, where can they go? Uh, they can go to our website, www.kilted.co.uk. Also on Twitter at We Are Kilted. And we're also on Instagram at We Are Kilted. 
Fantastic. Thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.